Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. Well, Carol, hi, stranger. Hi. Welcome me back. Welcome back. I haven't seen you for a long time. How are you? It's been a long time. It's been a minute. I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little sunburned, Mm. but other than that, I'm good. Your hair looks like it got a lot of sun, too. It looks lighter. Like, I know you had some highlights, but it really looks like they came out. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was just outside a lot, and... My husband and I, we just returned from a wonderful vacation. We were invited to Portugal and Spain to celebrate my daughter's 30th birthday with her and her husband. Nice. So that was a nice treat. We also got to spend a couple of days in Carcassonne, which is in southern France. So I'm really excited. I have some good stories to share from these regions. Oh, well, I can't wait to hear them. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Well, I will focus this episode with some scary tales okay. from Barcelona. Oh, good. Awesome. Yeah, we took a ghost tour of the Gothic district and learned about the famous vampire of Barcelona. Oh, there was a famous vampire. Yeah, huh? well, also known as the vampire of Raval. Okay. Supposedly, she's an alleged female serial killer. Wow. Named Enriquita Marti. Really? That's quite the name. I'm going to be saying that a lot. Enriquita. According to the legend, she worked as a servant for a very wealthy family in 1902 and acquired a desire for her own personal riches. At first, she would solicit the wealthy as a prostitute and eventually decided to open up her own brothel. Good for her. Yeah, she's a, <laughs> she's a business-minded yeah, she person. Is. Sure. After learning that the highest paid requests were from the sick appetites of those who liked them young, she devised a scheme to kidnap orphans or kids who would not be missed from other prostitutes oh, or a, beggars. That's a bit dark. Yes, <laughs> and then delivered them to her wealthy patrons for a high price. Mm. The ages ran from 3 to 14, and there was no limit on what they could or could not do with the children. 3 to 14? Yes, very young. Oh. She would dress as a beggar during the day and hide the children she stole under a long black cape. Stories were told later by grown-up children who claimed that Enriquita tried to lure them with candy. After, yes, it, it's that theme, you know, it yeah, reminds don't me take of candy from strangers. Chitty Chitty Bang from. Bang, where the guy's like, you know, luring the kids with candy. Yeah. After just a short time, she became very wealthy. Enriquita purchased many apartments in Raval, a seedy section of town in Barcelona, and ran several brothels out of them. Hmm. So she had several going. Yeah. And at night, she would dress up as part of the wealthy elite and engage in her business deals with them at their social events, like the local opera house or the casino. The fact that somebody was kidnapping children for some unknown reason started to be obvious to everyone. Local gossip and all kinds of scary theories spread rapidly through the city of Barcelona. The Barcelona mayor, though, was not buying all the panic or fear of the situation and issued a statement in 1911 saying there was no proof of anything regarding kidnapping or murders taking place of young children. Hmm. So he was just he know, was trying off. to just shut it down. Yeah, he was paid off. 
Okay. It is important to note that many of these wealthy patrons of Enriqueta's brothels were rumored to occupy the higher positions in companies and held office over those who controlled the law, police, and hospital organizations. Otherwise, they might have been tipped off much earlier. Enriqueta was arrested briefly in 1909, but was quickly released. In 1909, it was a difficult year for the city of Barcelona, which endured a week-long burning of churches in what was known as a social rebellion called La Setmana Tragica, translated as the Tragic Week. Mm. Over 40 churches were torched, and during this time, one of Enriqueta's Marty's brothel was raided by the police. However... Mm. Mysteriously, as if from a hidden authority, she was released from jail without any further questions. So she continued opening up more brothels and was able to conduct these horrible crimes going unnoticed for up to 15 years. Yeah, not surprised. One day, though, she slipped up and mistakenly took a little girl named Teresita, who was not an orphan. And the parents started to inquire and conduct a diligent search for their child. The father wasn't rich, but was well-loved and respected in the city, and people knew the family. The police were now pressured to investigate the area of Ravel, where the child was last sighted in a window of an apartment. When they entered the flat, they found Teresita with all of her hair shaved off alive and another little girl named Angelite. Forensic experts managed to account for a total of 12 children with what little evidence they were able to recover from bits of bone buried in the walls of the apartment and other brothels and apartments owned by Enriqueta. There was quite a lot of blood found in the apartment and a little boy named Pepite, who was five at the time when he was kidnapped, was supposedly killed in the flat, according to the eyewitness account of the little girl, Angelita. When Enriqueta was questioned, she claimed the little girl, Angelita, was her own daughter by her ex-husband, Juan Pujalo. In 1895, she married a painter, Juan Pujalo, but the marriage failed due to her many affairs with other men, mm. her continual associations with prostitutes, and her visits to brothels. Sure. So he really didn't know about her life. Right. And just thought she was really loose. You're just really good with money. You've got lots of money. You're such a free spirit. And you just love these sexual expressions, right? So Juan came forward on his own after hearing of his wife's arrest, saying he had no idea where Angelita was from, the kid. They tried to get back together six times, he said. And at the time of her arrest, they had been separated for five years. There was never any reports of them having children together. And a physical examination of her proved she had never given birth. Mm-hmm. Enriqueta later stated that she had helped deliver her sister-in-law's baby and made her believe the baby was stillborn. At the time, there was a high morbidity rate among the poor and children who were malnourished. And she felt that with her help and money, she could give the child a better life. Hmm. Um, She sounds like a a stand-up person for sure. Uh, uh, Yeah. Among the items found were bottles of strange tinctures, potions, and spells. It was thought that Enriqueta grew quite insane and would murder some of the kids who were too sick or who were rejected by her clients. 
The media reported that the remains of bones were ground into beauty powders, body fluids and fat were used for creams, and the blood of the child was a health tonic to treat tuberculosis, which was rampant then. It seemed there was a use for the entire body, and it was how she disposed of them. She sold her remedies to her circle of wealthy clients, claiming herself as a witch doctor, and it was rumored she would also drink the blood to maintain her youth. She was jailed for only 15 months and never went to trial. Hmm. It was said that the inspector of the police had a personal interest in the case, wanting to avoid the death penalty and delay the trial. Some say it was in the hopes for her to provide a complete list of those patrons who were requesting her services. Mm -hmm. But others assume it was delayed to damper attention and let the hype die down. Mm-hmm. Most accounts say she was beaten to death by her fellow inmates after two failed suicide attempts. Some believe they were paid off to keep the trial from revealing her influential clientele. So mm. she was Epstein. Oh, sure. For sure. <laughs> you know, it, this just yeah. totally reminds me of yeah. kind of the same thing. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Other sources state that she died from uterine cancer waiting trial and her body was attended to by two inmates. She was 43 years old at the time of death in 1913. No. Hmm. It is ironic that someone who tries to sell healing potions with the remains of children could not have children herself. It is thought that there are many more remains of children that are buried in places of homes and grounds of the wealthy aristocrats in this area that she would conduct her business. I would bet you it's very haunted there. Oh, yes. Nobody really knows how many kids or people she killed. Enriquita always maintained she never murdered anybody and said, quote, my clients maybe were monsters, but not me, end (laughs) quote. For her, she said it was just business. Oh, boy. And she never killed any of the children. Mm -hmm. And out of anger for being arrested, she never disclosed one name of any of her patrons. Hmm. The tour guide on the ghost tour said to avoid the area of Raval at night because it is still considered the red light district of Barcelona, very haunted, and not the best place to be walking alone. I bet. I bet. (laughs) But it was really cool to see all these places. And I will list the, the actual tour if you're in Barcelona. Some people might be disappointed because it was more focused on history mm. of the area mm-hmm. and the sinister things that happen more than like ghosts the ghost per stuff, se. Right. But it was still really worth it. And there was still a lot to learn about it. And there were ghost stories. So like mm. I um, told you earlier, this probably will be a two part. Right. At some point, I'll yeah. cover the rest of them later. Yeah. Now let's talk about some alternative theories to the story. Oh, okay. Great. Because there might be some. Okay. Shortly before Enriquita's arrest, Police had closed a different brothel in Botella that also was involved in the prostitution of minors. In 2014, a writer from Barcelona, Jody Coromines, reviewed published editorials and articles that were circulated during the time of the arrest. Many of the articles were based on just the initial reports coming out of the first findings of the apartments and the witnesses coming forth with their limited knowledge of the kidnappings. There was no follow-up or additional evidence given in the tabloids or media for possible reasons Enriquita was found with these two children in the flat. And the questions were never asked of exactly what was the blood and skeletal remains all about. 
they just assumed, right? Oh, they didn't ask her anything. They just said, oh, we know what you've been up to. Mm -hmm. Problem solved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they just felt like the investigation, this guy, Coraminas, felt like it was just really just superficial. Mm -hmm. You know, just kind of a routine thing. Nobody was really trying to find the answers. Right, right. And they felt like they had enough to mm-hmm. go on by arresting her because there oh. were remains yeah. in her, ho- in her yeah. home. Yeah, that's pretty suspicious. <laughs> yeah. In his book, Barcelona in 1910, Coraminus reveals that nobody ever thought or questioned that the blood found on the mattress and other areas of the flat could be from Enriquita herself. Mm. It is also possible that the story of the recent arrest of the owner of the other brothel and the connection of to Enriquita's involvement were erroneously linked. So he's saying that maybe because of that incident, mm-hmm. people think, oh, that she must be involved in that also right. or something. We'll just chalk up all the negative things that to have her. happened to her. Yeah. 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 It is common knowledge now that those who suffer from uterine cancer often experience painful hemorrhaging. Mm-hmm. So it could be that all that blood was from her. Mm-hmm. The skeletal human remains found in the walls were never connected to the recently murdered or missing children. Oh, okay. The remains, which were parts of about 12 youths, could have been purchased or stolen from a local cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a demand for answers and justice, so journalism was just focused on finding a scapegoat for the 40-plus missing children from that area. Mm-hmm. So he thinks it was just biased reporting in favor of proving her guilty. Sure, yeah. When a doctor determined that some of the skeletal findings... We're actually from a variety of sources like animals. Oh. The journalists attacked him for the announcement, stating, stating, when a doctor determined that some of the skeletal findings were from a variety of sources like animals, the journalists attacked him for the announcement, stating that he must be trying to protect himself of powerful people Hmm. um, or these same elite were paying him off for his denial of evidence. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while there are details from the kids explaining what they saw while confined to the apartment, some think that the kids' testimonies couldn't be relied on due to their fanciful imaginations, <laughs> possible coaching and leading of questions by the police or reporters, oh. and exaggeration by the media Okay. to sell papers. Yeah. In one statement from Little Angelita, she claimed that she was supposed to be sleeping but saw a little boy murdered by her mom in Rikita. People assumed it was the missing boy, Pepita, uh-huh. who was five years old at the time. Mm. She said her mom killed him on the kitchen table and gave the boy something to put him to sleep because she didn't want him to scream. Mm. Quote, with a knife, she cut the neck and opened the void like a piece of meat, oh. like a cow, end quote. Oh. Enriquita didn't know she was watching, and Angelita said she snuck back to bed before she could be caught. Mm-hmm. So that was her account. Ugh. According to Coraminas, Enriquita was not a serial killer or a murderer, but a mentally deranged person due to repressed trauma that manifested as sexual promiscuity. Oh. Enriquita experienced post-traumatic stress syndrome at witnessing a death when she was younger of a baby who died from malnutrition. Mm. She was kidnapping kids, but she wanted to become, to them, a surrogate mother. Huh. The other child witness who was found, Teresita, claimed 
Enriqueta wanted them to call her mother, and she would often pinch them, refusing to hit them when they were reprimanded. To me, it's the matter of her behavior with owning all the brothels that yeah. were engaging in underage yeah. prostitution. That's, that alone is bad. Were they able to prove that, though? Were yes. They, able, they were able yes. to prove that. Okay. And the finding of the disturbing witch doctor tinctures, which actually does point to her experimenting with animal bones, buying mm. or stealing corpses. And it just looks weird to me. Like, so she's stealing children, claiming she wants to be a mother to them. She's running brothels that do <laughs> harm to children. Yeah. But wait, she draws the line at actual <laughs> murdering of her victims? Yeah. It seems unlikely to me, but perhaps in reading the book, the writer could convince us otherwise. Yeah. But it was just a fascinating story because yeah. you don't hear too much of yeah. female serial killers. No, you don't. And Especially this is from just, back in the day like that. That's yeah. a really old time mm -hmm. frame for that to happen. Yeah. yeah. And I read a little bit more about it and they did say that there, Barcelona was known for its really seedy activity, even with like pornography and things like that. Mm. And there was a lot of kids that were probably shipped off to France and right. other areas. Yeah. So if this was going on with Enriquita, it was going on with other people as sure. well yeah. involved in it. And that, you know, that other brothel where the guy was arrested, that just proves it. Yeah. But nobody, no patrons were ever arrested. Uh, of course not. So that is very odd to mm. me. Mm -hmm. So my next story is the famous St. Joseph Market, also known as the Boqueria Market on La Rambla Street in Barcelona. Okay. It was built on the former site of a monastery for monks of the Barefoot Carmelites of St. Joseph. In 1835, it had become quite relaxed in its strict rules and austere lifestyle due to its acquisition of wealth. Hmm. One of its most famous quotes is that prayer and comfortable living are incompatible. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. but somehow, by 1835, the monks' lifestyle was a far cry from their mission to follow a life of penance, poverty, and suffering. So maybe they decided to take their famous quote literally mm -hmm. when they all decided unanimously to stop praying on their order's saint's day of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Maybe they didn't want to be hypocrites living such a life of comfort. <laughs> In any case, the head deacon had no issues with foregoing prayer and the celebration of the most important day associated with their order. However, there was one young monk who opposed this decision and felt it would be sacrilegious to not pay homage to the saint through prayers. He warned the fellow monks of invoking God's wrath. No, don't do it. Right. It's a bad idea. At the time in Spain, there was already the rising persecution of the religious orders who were perceived to support political adversary and the power they held was feared as a grave threat. The general public were suffering from disease and poverty and they kept growing in anger and felt very oppressed. Mm. On July 15th, Our Lady of Carmel's Eve, a low humming sound woke up the sleeping monks. Mm. Just like that. <laughs> They all came together trying to locate where the sound source was coming from. In the church, they came upon a most horrifying sight. A choir of skeleton monks were singing, and the music was unlike any hymn or earthly music they had ever heard. Huh. 
Whispering among themselves, they discussed what they should be doing, wondering if perhaps they should try to stop them from completing their haunting chants. They just decided to stand silent, transfixed, until the choir finished. And once the music echoed to a final note, they escorted the skeleton specters back to the church crypt with lighted candles, where they found that all the tombs were standing wide open without any remains inside. Oh, interesting. One by one, the ghostly monks climbed back into their tombs, Hmm. slamming the lids shut. I bet many monks had a hard time going back to sleep after that whole event. I bet. You're like, let's start praying again. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to spend the rest of the evening in prayer. I don't know about you. (laughs) However, in the morning, many of the monks went back to the chapel area to investigate further what might have been a trick of sound or light. Some thought they were all given an omen or prophetic dream. Mm, and they just okay. all simultaneously hallucinated. Uh-huh. Yeah. But instead, they found the crumpled, lifeless body of the young monk dead in the exact spot where the skeleton choir sang. Really? That's odd, isn't it? Why would he be the one to get killed? Maybe it was an evil skeleton choir. Huh. I don't know. Interesting. Maybe because he broke from the pack and was like, no, I'm going to keep praying. And they're like, <laughs> All right, well, we're with Satan now. Well, Satan's maybe like, somebody oh, really? maybe okay. somebody killed him. Yeah, maybe. Maybe somebody was like, how dare you bring this skeleton fire? <laughs> <laughs> Ten days later, on St. James' feast day of July 25th, a terrible fire completely engulfed the monastery, killing all the rest of the monks. Okay, there we go. Full yeah. circle now. Now, was it just a coincidence? Or was it divine punishment for the lack of respect for their patron saint? Divine punishment. Mm-hmm. Got my vote. Yep. Well, the history of the Bocaria market on their website states that social unrest broke out on that night of feast day of St. James and riots were responsible for the fires, which included many buildings and other churches. Any monks who tried to escape the fires were easily identified and killed by gunfire or brutal attacks. It was an awful, awful event. People who visit the market on July 15th have reported hearing a strange humming noise. Um, Yes, just like that. (laughs) And footsteps and singing on Our Lady of Carmel's Eve. At night when the market is closed from the public, an eerie feeling of being watched and bad energy is felt from anyone passing by. So on the street, like the market, there's also this famous theater called the Grand Theater of Laishu. It is located on the La Rambla, only just a few blocks away from the St. Joseph's Market. It, too, was built over the ruins of an old monastery, Mm. the convent of the Trinitarians. And in the same year of 1835, the convent was also burned down, set aflame from the rioting. It is said only one monk perished. Mm. In response to being expelled from the land and losing their residence, the monks cursed the new building of the Grand Theater of Lysho, which was considered a horrible act of sacrilege to be placed on the former sacred grounds of the church. It was seen as a disgusting display of pagan worship with its immoral plays of opera, ballet, and entertainment. Yeah, monks are usually nice genteel types to to put a curse on something is not really like a monk thing to do exactly yeah yeah i find it hard to believe they would do that the ghosts of the dead monk though would often appear and accuse the attendants of committing a great sin 
so they would see him in the theater. Then in 1861, the theater was totally destroyed in another fire. Hmm. And among the still smoking ruins, the police found a sinister note that said, quote, an owl I am, alone I am. If you build it again, I'll burn it again. Oh. End quote. Now, somebody doesn't like opera. I, don't know. <laughs> I guess not. Yeah. It was then attacked with two bombs from a social anarchist, Santiago Salvador, which killed over 20 people and caused considerable damage again to the theater in huh. 1893. Wow. So they repaired it again. Jeez. In 1994, the entire theater again burned down to the ground. Really? During some electrical repair work that set off a spark, catching a stage curtain on fire. Huh. Because it was all made of wood, the theater quickly burned up in an inferno of flame. Huh. The much-beloved theater, though, was completely rebuilt, this time expanding the size of the former building and keeping true, though, to the design of the original exterior, reopening to the public in 1999. Nice. And so far, there have been no other reports or incidents with fire and other tragedies. But people have reported seeing a ghostly figure of a monk walking around the perimeter of the building and briefly standing in the lobby glaring at the patrons. <laughs> Others who have told this story state, the site was also used for executions in the Middle Ages. Perhaps it was someone who was unjustly executed that cursed the place. Perhaps. Rather than our God-fearing, lovely, forgiving monks. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No kidding. It is interesting to note that the Opera House website excludes the history of the second fire in 1861. Huh. Perhaps it doesn't want anyone to jump to conclusions about a coincidental pattern of death and fire. Yeah, let's not keep that fire thing going. Yeah, good decision, uh, in my opinion, with marketing. You know, yeah. you want people to not be scared coming yeah. to see the plays. Right. And I remember telling my husband as we arrived in Barcelona that I wished we had time to see an opera there. Mm -hmm. But now after hearing this strange history, I'm very glad we did. <laughs> I don't right. want to take my chances in right. that theater. Yeah. So next week, I'll have several more stories to tell you about Barcelona, but cool. I'll save those for another episode. Okay. What do you have for us this week, Holly? Well, those were great stories, and I'm excited to hear about your trip and everything that you got to experience over there. That's really cool. So I kind of stumbled across this one story. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how, but <laughs> I just, you know, I was trying to find something to do this week, and, and this one popped up. I'm like, actually, this one's kind of interesting. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be interesting, mm -hmm. but the more research I did, the more interesting it became. So... Anyway. Well, it sounds interesting. It is interesting. <laughs> um, it's, so I'm doing giants. Oh, gosh. That is, that is a yeah. giant topic. It's a giant topic. To be topic. discussed. Yes. There is a cave out in the middle of nowhere in Nevada located about 18 miles south of the town of Lovelock called the Lovelock Cave. For many generations, the Paiutes, one of the local Native American tribes, have passed down the story of the Sitika, Sitika, I believe is how you say it, um, another indigenous tribe that the Paiutes had warred with back in the day. The interesting thing <laughs> about the Sitika is that according to the Paiutes, the Sitika were giants, 8 to 10 feet in height, with red hair and an appetite for human flesh. Ew. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Paiutes claim that they joined with other. Say that again. Sorry, Josh. 
In fact, the Paiutes claimed that they joined with other tribes in the area to war against the Sitakai as they were fed up, pun intended, with these cannibals <laughs> capturing the members of their tribes and eating them. The term Sitaka is a Paiute name meaning tool, tule eaters, as the Sitaka used rafts made of tule to float down Lake Humboldt and escape the Paiute people. What is tule? Tule is a strong reed found in swamps. Thank oh. you for asking, Carol. Oh, <laughs> that was my next sentence. Oh, good. <laughs> and I guess it's how they pronounce it. Um, I thought it was just tool, but they pronounce it tule. So the legend goes that the Sitaka, who were losing the war against the other tribes, retreated to their cave, which is now called the Lovelock Cave. They remained in the cave, refusing to come out and fight the tribes that had them surrounded. So the tribes set fire to the entrance of the cave, resulting in several of the Sitaka running outside and meeting their deaths at the hands of the awaiting tribes, or for those who didn't run out, burning and or suffocating to death inside the cave. The winning tribes then closed off the cave and resumed their lives now that they no longer had to fear the Sitaka. The Paiutes passed down the story in their tribe from generation to generation. When the white men showed up, the Paiutes told them, too, about the legendary battle with the Sitaka and showed the white settlers where the cave was. Eventually, a couple of miners, David Pug and James Hart, were hired by a local mining company to go into the cave to dig for bat guano, which was a needed ingredient in fertilizer and explosives. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there you go. I didn't know that either. So in 1911, the two men set out to do just that. They entered the cave and started to dig around. They were able to remove a ton of bat guano, but as they started digging, they found some very interesting artifacts that paid a lot of credibility to the story that the Paiute people had passed down. Eventually, they contacted the anthropology department at the University of California and told them about the Lovelock Cave as a good place for them to do an archaeological dig. A man named L.L. Loud came to Nevada to start the excavation in 1912. He was able to collect around 10,000 items from the cave, including items he found in the dirt dump site that was left by the miners. In 1924, more excavation work was done on the cave in which they found duck decoys that oh. were made of bundled tule and adorned with paint and feathers. They were determined to be from around 130 B.C. to 300 B.C. years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. An additional excavation in the late 60s, many human remains were found. As many as 60 bodies were discovered. And at one point, but I'm not entirely sure when, two mummified bodies were found together, one male and the other female, one mummy was around six and a half feet tall, and the other was around eight feet tall. Both had red hair. These two mummies were not the only evidence found of giants in the area. In 1931, two more skeletons were recovered from the nearby dry lake bed of Humboldt. These skeletons measured eight and a half feet tall and ten feet tall. And in 1939, yet another skeleton was found close to the cave measuring seven feet seven inches tall. Now, at one point... The Humboldt Museum had these skeletons on display, but they have since disappeared. Some say that the government came in and took them, and others say that they were returned to the Native American tribes for proper burial. Mm -hmm. But who's to say? I don't know where they are now. There is also evidence left at the cave that helps substantiate the Paiute story. There are scorch or burn marks on the rocks at the entrance to the cave, showing that a terrible fire had indeed taken place there at some point in time. There was also a handprint left on the rocks that are three times the size of an average person's hand. And during one of the excavation digs, 
extra large clothing was found and a sandal measuring 15 inches was discovered, which means a person wearing a sandal this large would have been around 8 to 10 feet tall. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Also found inside the cave were human bones that had been split in half to extract their bone marrow, much like how animal bones had been devoured by ancient humans. This evidence further indicated that the giants were indeed cannibals. In 1883, Sarah Winnemucca, a Paiute descendant of Paiute chief Winnemucca, wrote a book entitled, quote, Life Among the Paiutes, Their Wrongs and Claims, end quote. In this book, Sarah indicated that her tribe had indeed killed the small tribe of barbarians who had eaten her people. She also indicated in her book that these barbarians had red hair and that some of their hair had been passed down through the generations. And in fact, she had a mourning dress that had the red hair sewn into it that was a family keepsake. Giant skeleton remains were not just found in Nevada, but all over the United States. In Ohio, they discovered the Serpent's Mound, in which they found the remains of three giants, at least eight feet in height, with two rows of teeth and both the upper and lower jaws with elongated skulls. Several other giant skeletons were found in the area very near the Serpent's Mound over the years to follow. In fact, skeletons of giants were found in every state with more than 1,000 accounts of skeletons discovered well over seven feet tall all over the United States. Fee-fi-fo-fum. No kidding, right? Even the Smithsonian has indicated that they have received several giant skeletons from people who have unearthed them from all over the country. However, we don't know where these skeletons are. When the Smithsonian was asked about the skeletons they received, they were either unable to locate them or confirm that they had them at all, leading many people to believe there is a conspiracy to keep the evidence of these giants a secret. Oh, yeah. How do you misplace a 10 foot tall skeleton? Like, I don't know. And like every picture you see online, there's some statement that says this has been found to be fake. Yeah. You know, so it's just like there was apparently a photo shoot showing a lot of people who were digging up giant skeletons. Mm -hmm. But those were for a Photoshop contest or something. Okay, But there is or dinosaur bones that they kind of tried to. But there is actual legit. Um, people who have ha- found these these skeletons apparently so, and I think the paint drawings that depict a much larger race next to a smaller race. Mm-hmm. I've seen those paint yeah figures yeah. in caves yeah yeah that is very much like very indicative of what could be happening. They're seeing a taller race, yeah. much taller so. for sure. So in 1933 to 1935, the Spiro Mounds in Oklahoma were excavated. They discovered a giant skeleton over seven feet tall, dressed in full battle armor. He was laying next to a pot of pearls and other artifacts. The Smithsonian was contacted about the skeleton, but no one knows what happened to him after that. Really? After the excavation, these burial sites were destroyed using dynamite. In addition to all of these stories, there was a very interesting interview on the internet. Uh, The full interview has been taken down. And I feel like you maybe covered this, but maybe you didn't. It's of a U.S. Special Forces man who was stationed in Afghanistan in 2002. Did you do that one? And he was ordered to go into a cave yes. to yes. get something. And so he, I'm going to yeah. put that here because it goes oh, yeah, along with my definitely. giant story. Um, but I think you did talk about it on a past episode. Um, he claimed that his unit was called in to look for another unit that had gone missing in mm-hmm. a very remote area of Afghanistan. In an interview he did for YouTuber L.A. Marzuli, the Special Forces man is referred to as Mr. K. 
Mr. K said that what was odd was this missing unit had not made it to their checkpoint, but had not called for help on any of their radios. They were trying to figure out what could have happened where they wouldn't have radioed in for help. Mr. K said his unit was flown into a drop point and started the same truck that the missing soldiers had taken. He said as they were coming down the side of a mountain, they ran at a corner and found an opening to a cave. As the soldiers were looking around, he noticed that there were many large boulders around the mouth of the cave, as well as bones and some of the U.S. Army's communication equipment that had been smashed to bits. Mr. K said his unit started to believe that the missing squad had been ambushed by an animal or other people who were still hiding in the cave. Mr. K's unit put themselves into positions that would help them avert an ambush themselves and pointed their guns at the mouth of the cave. Suddenly, they see something coming out of the cave very fast. And when it comes out of the cave, Mr. K said it was a man who was at least 12 to 15 feet tall with long red hair and a long red beard. He said the whole unit just stared at the giant in bewilderment until finally one of them started to shoot at it. The soldier said that the giant took a pike or spear and stabbed the first soldier that advanced towards him. The giant then picked up the pike with the soldier still impaled on it and started towards the other soldiers. The soldiers started to panic and then one of them yelled, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. <laughs> so the soldiers aimed their guns at the giant's face and opened fire. Mr. K said the giant took multiple hits from their guns and kept advancing. Eventually, though, they were able to kill the giant by indeed shooting him in the head and face. See, this is why that story of David and Goliath, yeah. where David just kills the Goliath mm -hmm. with a small stone yeah. and a slingshot, yeah. is really hardly believable. Because it took, what, a big group of army people yeah. with <laughs> multiple weapons you Lots know shooting heavy firearm power heavy artillery to, take him, to take him out i know but i yeah i get i totally hear what you're saying but there's a little supernatural element there god was on his side no god did help direct <laughs> that i agree it got him in the temple the, yeah it just you know it, it was got where him in that got very him. like the achilles heel yes you know, it's kind of like that just got him the, the vulnerable spot okay, of his good. body i'm a believer again <laughs> Go ahead. Um, the giant's body was then loaded onto a Chinook helicopter and then onto a cargo plane and disappeared forever. Mr. K and the other soldiers had to sign a non-disclosure agreement to keep them silent, but eventually they started to talk. When the Pentagon was asked about the incident, they claimed to have no knowledge of the event. Surprise, surprise. According to the man that interviewed Mr. K, uh, Mr. L.A. Marzulli, who is a YouTuber that discusses all sorts of paranormal stories, conspiracy theories, and the like, he said that the creature that Mr. K was describing was called a Nephilim, which was described in the book of Genesis and Numbers in the Old Testament of the Bible. Mm -hmm. The Nephilim were described as people of unusually large size and strength and were found in the Middle East. To further back up these claims, there were rumors all around the U.S. military members serving in the Middle East of giant men that towered over the rest of the populace. However, there were never any of these giants found to prove these claims. Another witness account of a giant was the giant of Kunar. In 2008, another infantry leader witnessed a giant man through his scope when he saw a large heat signature that he took to be many people huddled together. However, when the figure stood up, it was clear to the soldier that it was just one being he was looking at. Compared to the trees in the area, the figure stood about 10 to 12 feet tall and was just as tall as the trees around it. The soldier said that the giant moved smoothly but very fast. 
Another account is of an Air Force drone operator who was in Afghanistan scanning the skies looking for things of note. He said one day he saw three 12-foot-tall people huddled around a fire. He could tell their height from what he could read on his scope. He watched them for about 10 minutes or so. He said that they had goats with them that compared to how big the giants were, the goats looked like little house cats. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so um, they were probably eating the goats. I guess. More milk or, mm-hmm. or something. But um, anyway, while doing my research into these giants, I came across a really good YouTube show that I really like called The Y Files. Oh, Have cool. you ever seen The Y Files? I don't think so. It's good. It's a paranormal show. And um, he, it's, it's cute. He's, it's the host name is AJ and he is a pet puppeted goldfish called Hecklefish. Oh no, wait, I have, have I you have seen, seen that? it. I didn't realize what it was called. And then yeah. the, the fish talks yes. back. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, he discussed the giant's legend, how it has evolved throughout American folklore and suppressed by the larger science authorities. In his episode, uh, quote, forbidden archaeology, lost giants of America, end quote, AJ discusses the origin story for these giants. In addition to the Bible, he said, giants have been discussed in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Vedas of India. It is theorized, I believe in the Bible, that there were giants on earth who were fallen angels that mated with human women and created the Nephilim. Yes. It was believed that there was another race of giants called the Anakim, which is the race of giants that Goliath from the biblical story of David versus Goliath descended from. The Anakim were descendants of the Nephilim. But then the ancient Sumerians and Babylonians also spoke of giants called the uh, Anunnaki. In the ancient tablets of the Sumerians and the Babylonians, they have a similar story to the Bible. They say that the Anunnaki were an ancient race of extraterrestrial beings from the planet Nibiru. Now, this is where I'm going to, you know the story? Mm-hmm. Okay. This is where I'm going to want to get your astrology input. Nibiru is said to be in our solar system, but because it only comes by Earth every 3,600 years, we don't see it much. NASA has been looking for evidence of Nibiru forever, but they refer to it as Planet 9 or Planet X. So in 2017, scientists have confirmed that they do believe this planet does exist on the outer reaches of our solar system. They hope to confirm this for sure within a few more years when it comes closer to Earth. Yay us. This planet, if these ancient tablets hold true, could be the home of the Anunnaki. As described in the ancient tablets, the Anunnaki would return to Earth for additional resources like water and gold when they needed them. Um, And that kind of parallels, you know, fallen sons of God in the Bible. Kind Mm -hmm. of they're coming back to Earth. The Anunnaki needed slave labor as well to help them on their own planet, so they created humans to be a slave race. They spliced DNA between the Anunnaki and cavemen and created the Homo sapien, otherwise known as you and me. This new species was called the first men in Sumerian and Babylonian texts, or Adamu, which was later translated into Hebrew as men of Adam, mm-hmm. which is what we all believe from the Bible story we descended from the Adam or the first rib of Adam. In the beginning of mankind, these first men or Adamu were taken to Nibiru to work for the Anunnaki. The first men were not only slaves to the Anunnaki, but they worshiped them as their God and creator. They worshiped these giants and in some cases even mated with them, creating children that were then referred to as the Nephilim. 
Those Sumerian and Babylonian texts also said that the last time Nibiru came into the inner circle of our solar system, it caused many electrical magnetic disruptions to our system, such as flares and dark spots on the sun and extreme aurora borealis colors throughout Earth's skies. As the planet weakened the Earth's magnetic field, the polar ice caps melted, causing a great flood throughout the Earth, much like the biblical flood that happened in the Bible. The Anunnaki were able to escape the flood on their spaceships, taking with them their gold and some human slaves. After the Great Flood, only a few humans were left on Earth to start anew. This creation myth, the Great Flood and such, is told by every culture on Earth. And there is scientific evidence that supports the Great Flood did occur on Earth. So really, we still have many more questions than answers, but the creation myths are interesting, and the fact that the Smithsonian is misplacing 10-foot-tall skeletons is also quite interesting. Also, if Nibiru is a real planet, how is it going to affect astrology? It's going to affect it every cataclysmic age when it comes <laughs> We're into... We're going to all be dead, so it's not going to matter how it Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think because it it's not one that is affecting our lives its transit is so long hundreds and hundreds of years you don't have enough it doesn't really have enough to affect a human's lifespan Mm -hmm. however if it does come back into our orbit here soon that could have some major ramifications Mm -hmm. on the planet oh yeah we will have probably a major cataclysm again so um do you know when it's supposed to be here no, I don't. Nobody no knows. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Nobody knows. Um, Guess we'll find out. I knew somebody that bought a home on the hill over here, uh-huh. the highest point, because he said that everywhere else is going to be flooded when Nibiru <laughs> appears <laughs> and his home will be saved and he'll be on an island at that point. Like oh he was God. convinced. Really? And that was like before COVID, but he was convinced Nibiru was You'd have to be us. on top of Mount Hood. You wouldn't be able to survive <laughs> it on one of these hills. I mean, we have some really tall hills, but yeah, I think you'd have to be up on a mountaintop, right? Yeah. I mean, the last place that they think the Noah's Ark rested, who they think outlived the cataclysm of the flood if you believe the bible is mount ararat in turkey which is a very very tall mountain yes and that's Um, where they think they found the boat right mm -hmm. yeah so anyway that's what i have for you on giants i think it's great i i am glad you did that episode on giants there was a recent tiktok video and i wish we could find it of two guys that saw something on a mountain as they were driving and they Mm. thought it was this giant tall person yeah. trying to remember where it was. But when you try and find that video, they said that it was pulled down oh, immediately. Really? And so they're like, you know, nobody wants that sure. to get out. And yeah. so they keep reposting it. So I'll try and find it. Yeah. Uh, for I've people seen to watch. in that Y files um, mm-hmm. thing, um, he showed a clip of that. And that was, um, I think it was in Peru. And there is a woman, she's shooting these two, people up way on a hill and all of a sudden one of them gets up and he is way taller and she starts screaming i've seen that one too oh okay so yeah so there's that one and then there's another one with two guys driving oh okay they're like is that a guy up there yeah that guy must be huge yeah because if they're seeing him how big he is like yeah yeah and they're freaking out about it it's pretty cool i'm starting to think all this shit is true All of it. I don't even it's just critically so, think anymore. Just, it's, it's just it's after true. a while, you're just like, some of it has to probably connect yeah. because there's just too much of it around. Yeah. There's just, there's too many, 
too much folklore. It's got to start from somewhere. Where did it start and mm-hmm. why? And why does all these people believe in it? I know. Yeah. And then eventually we're all just going to like create and manifest a new reality where yeah. hopefully we're not walking around with giants or fairies or things I, like that. I think it'd be interesting to walk around with giants and fairies. Not if they're cannibals. Well, if they're nice. And they don't eat me, then mm-hmm. fine. But uh, other than that, that'd be cool. And they don't step on me. I don't want the giants to step on me. So anyway. Yeah, that'd be scary. <laughs> I don't, tall people frighten me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's it for us tonight. We will see you next time. And it's located on the Rolambla, la on the, which was considered a horrible sack. Oh, it was then attacked with two bombs from a social antar- anarchist. Wow. The interesting thing, saying interesting again, otherwise known to you as you as me. Oh my God. Hold on. <laughs> as the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts, and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode.